Welcome back to another edition of the Sports Dorks Podcast with the Daily Emerald Sports Desk. We've got so many spring sports getting started here, even though it is mid-February. A lot of sports getting started, and it's been a really, really cool opportunity for our sports desk because we've got a lot of sports and a lot of writers. So we've been able to kind of divvy up sports, and everyone's just got a sport that they're rolling with, and all the coverage from that will be coming from that individual and it's it's been really really exciting so far we had a really really busy weekend last week I mean there were four basketball games there were a handful of softball games uh tennis was in its second or third weekend of the year it, it it's been busy it's been chaotic but man it's been fun to watch these Oregon teams play baseball starting off right now in college baseball opening day baseball's back it's exciting we're thrilled about it Oregon's down in Texas playing in the uh, Shriners Children's Classic College Showdown. And this is a big opportunity for the Ducks because, like, head coach Mark Wazikowski has been talking about, this is an opening year tournament that Oregon typically hasn't been invited to. And coming off a year last year when they were in the Super Regionals, now to get this invite, it it shows that Oregon baseball as a program is on the rise. And it's going to be exciting to see if that carries over into attendance, if that carries over into production this year, if that carried over into recruiting. Ducks added a lot of new names, a lot of new faces in the offseason. It's a very new look team. It'll be curious to see just how much they can do. I mean, they lost most of their offensive production from last year. A lot of their home runs are gone. Thankfully, Jacob Walsh is still here to hit to hit balls out. But new look, new team, new offense, hopefully a new look, more full PK Park. Um, I will be the beat reporter for baseball this term. Really looking forward to that. This is going to be an exciting team to cover. Um, but from a sport that people commonly talk about to one that's really not represented very well. Owen's running with Acro this year. And Acro is one of what, 10 schools in the nation that actually has an acrobatics and tumbling team? Yeah, 10 or 15. It, it's it's so fun. I had a great time. I've never watched Acro before, but I went to my first uh, meet last Saturday and it was it was a blast. The atmosphere there, the coach talked about afterwards, is, is great. They've got a great story. It was a come from behind win. Uh, they were down the whole meet after a red flag. Somebody fell. But in that in the group event at the very end, they have six uh, events that they made this comeback, and it was great. Everybody was high. it was it was fantastic. And I had a great time covering it. Well, the acro is exciting too because a, a lot of the schools that do have acro aren't these power five, aren't these big name schools. I mean, Baylor's looking to continue with the dominating run that the Bears have been on lately. But outside of Baylor, the other big name in there, Oregon. Oregon, yeah, that's one and two in the rankings. Baylor obviously has eight of the last, you know, nine titles. Oregon's looking to unseat them. But, you know, they came in here, you know, Hawaii Pacific last weekend, number nine, almost beat the Ducks. So really having just, you know, 15 teams in this competition means that anybody can beat anybody on any day. And I think that's part of what makes it exciting. And I think it's exciting for Oregon to have such a good acro team because, I mean, with People talk about Oregon as being a sports school, right? Football school, tr- obviously track super big, but Acro has been very solid the, the years that they've had it. And as, as it's one that grows, hopefully in popularity, hopefully Oregon kind of starts to get this reputation too as an Acro school. Absolutely. Um, what what what's coverage of that been like? I mean, no, you just went to the one, but was there a lot of media outlet? Were there a lot of fans? Or it was just me and one of the guy who was calling it for KWVA. Uh, but we really had this chance to talk to the coach, kind of you know, two on one. And it was it was really just a great kind of story there. She was really able to talk to us about how she feels about these athletes. It's that we were talking. It's such a team sport. There's really, it's tough to call out one player in these articles. Um, there's there's some great stories. The 
assistant coach for that team is she was on the team last year now she's the assistant coach and they're really working they've got a third year head coach Taylor Susnara and they're all really bought into kind of this project but like producing coverage is is very interesting because I I was writing this article and I'm like wow this is a lot of this is a lot of numbers how do we how do we tell this story and you know we've got they're like this really like long like six six events like four two or three four heats for every one but you really got to split it down to like you can tell that that's the one like oh that fall oh that she did that perfectly and I, I think that's really where you got to call it out for sure and and Eugene it, it's a bummer with with such a short season and such scattered out games that Eugene's only going to get to see th- three home matches all year I mean Quinnipiac comes on March 16th and then Baylor um, on April 5th before heading and that's shortly before the national championships in West Virginia Baylor's on the schedule here twice and as someone that's kind of getting to cover the sport for the first time how exciting is that to be able to see Baylor to compare Oregon to Baylor or is it is it a respect of wow we get to see Baylor or is it like a wow here's a chance for Oregon to prove itself against Baylor I mean I think any chance you get to go see the top two teams in a sport go head to head we I mean we talked about you know games like Oregon and Washington or when you know teams like Colorado come to or Arizona come to Eugene to play the Ducks those are big games but this is a game, you know, unlike those ones where Oregon absolutely could be favored. You know, we don't know how they're going to look when Baylor comes to town. They've already seen them once. It's a game where the Ducks are, you know, ostensibly on top. And I think a chance to see a competitive game at the top of the division like that, something you can't pass up. I think absolutely. I think that's just a good sports thing in general of like, you know, this is this is a cool opportunity or this is a great team in whatever sport it is to try to go play. I mean, I as, mu- as much as I don't so much care for the NBA, I'd love to see LeBron play. So I was looking at, at Blazers tickets because sorry to, for your team to catch a stray here, Joe, but I mean, $3 tickets right now. I figured if the Lakers come to town, that $3 to see LeBron play? Like for sure, unfortunately, they're not on the schedule, but maybe a playoff matchup? <laughs> maybe. We'll see. <laughs> with, the NBA, with the NBA's joke playoff system where two-thirds of the <laughs> league makes the playoffs as a chance. But no, like what what are some of those what what are there some of those moments that, that you all have in sports history where you're like, wow, here's a chance to go see something. Like I really want to go see it. Like for me, I was growing up as a Rockies fan and there was a there was a season where Ichiro was really close to getting his three thousandth hit and it was like, Oh my oh my gosh, the dates are gonna line up. He's gonna break this in Denver. And I was able to go to the the game where he hit a triple off the wall for his three thousandth hit, and like that's like a, like that's a sports moment that I can claim is like yeah I was there for that because that's one where I was like you know this is like a once in a lifetime chance like I want to go see this. Uh, I grew up an Angels fan, but one of the things that sticks right. out to me was uh, Francisco Rodriguez's fifty seventh se- uh, save on the season, and that was to break the new record. And it still stands for the most saves in a single season. And recently, I was at a thrift store and I saw a shirt from that game all the way oh, really? here in Eugene, and I thought that was a really random huh. pull. So there's that. Um, nothing too historic that I've been able to go to, but, I mean, Ichiro's 3,000 hit is pretty awesome. That was a neat one. Uh, yeah, I do. So we've known for you know a few years that the World Cup is coming to the United States in 2026, and yep. so my best friend and I have you know, like an unofficial fund for tickets because we're like, nice. It's, it's coming to Seattle where we're both from, and we're like, you know, we might not get tickets to the U.S. game because they're going to play a group stage game there. But yeah, if if we can go see a World Cup game in Seattle, like why not, man? It's it's the World Cup, and that that's something I want to be a part of. I was really bummed to see Denver not selected 
It, it was interesting. Don't worry, though. We'll give Kansas City a bid. We'll give Kansas City a bid, but heaven forbid we bring an awesome sport and awesome opportunity to Denver. To Dick's Sporting Goods Park. To the Broncos' place, dude. They could have They could do they it at Mile filled They could do it at They're playing it at Arrowhead. They could have played at Mile How big high. is Mile High? 76,126. Oh, they could do it there. Or something like that. Good pull. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. The um, women's college basketball um, Sweet 16 and Elite Eight is coming to Portland this year, and... That's something that I am looking to hopefully get a credential for. If not, still go. Oregon is not going to be there. Um, they will not make it to the tournament, much less the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight. But How about that? Thank you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, still once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. For sure. For sure. Uh, jumping over then, we'll get back on track here, start talking a little bit about women's lacrosse. And that, that Kraz, that's, I mean, that's your beat this year. What You went to the first game. 19-8 to 8 win over Youngstown State. What, what was that experience like? I mean, it was pretty awesome just being able to see a new sport and see how passionate these, these players are about their sport. It was also cool to see Jessica Drummond's first career win back in Oregon. That's a really cool story to keep on following. Um, she played for four years, was a letter winner, and she's back to coach her team in this final year in the Pac-12. That's a really big thing to look out for this year. They seem really determined. Everyone's really excited to hopefully get back to like the top before heading over to the Big Ten and then the more competitive teams next year. Well, you look at the schedule on this, and Oregon's non-conference schedule is a real who's not of of school popularity. I mean, talk at Youngstown State, you got St. Francis tonight, Marist coming up, and then Ryder. Like, there are some real learning some new mascots within your that, coverage this that year. Heavy hitters. Yeah, <laughs> Youngstown State, the Penguins? Of course. Of course. Of course. Everyone, knows, everyone knows the Penguins. Everyone knows the Penguins. Um, what, what's that facility? Like what? Do, what do you think about Pepe Field? You know, it's honestly really nice. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't in the press box this last time, so it was a little colder than I was expecting. <laughs> but it, I really enjoyed just it's an it's a nice atmosphere. It was really crowded for that first game, and I'll be really excited to see how that happens. I mean, some some people from uh, from Youngstown State all the way from Ohio came and visited, and they traveled with their team. So I thought that was pretty exciting. And the whole facilities are really nice, just to be able to good spot to watch a game. What are your expectations for this team this year? I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens when they start conference play against some of these better teams. I mean, St. Francis and Marist, like traditionally, they haven't been the strongest lacrosse schools. We talked nineteen to eight final with Youngstown State. It'll be interesting to see when what happens when they start playing these Rutgers and you know in conference play with Stanford. It's always good. USC, these conference games that'll really just see where this team's really at. So I'd say like the expectation is they have a lot of seniors, and so the expectation is to go as far as they can, but. Obviously, it's hard to get like a litmus test of how good this team can be until they start conference play. Going as far as you can. I mean, that's a lot of the themes for Oregon spring seasons. I mean, there's a lot of teams that are trying to go like as far as they can to teams that are still trying to kind of find their groove before conference play starts. We welcome Ruby with tennis. And Ruby, both, it's been awesome to finally have you on because you've been covering matches um, when we've been recording these. But what have you seen this year from both men's and women's tennis? Yeah, both teams are looking great. Um, we have young teams, so uh, men br- their current record seven and two, and they brought on six new players this year, as well as the women brought on four. And not only are we just bringing on players, we have new coaches. The men's team has a new assistant coach, um, Petros Alex, who's from the University of North Dakota, and then we also have on the women's a new assistant coach, um, Pete Elenko, um, from. Redlands, and he brought on another volunteer assistant, um, his former player, Bryce Keem. So it's it's new teams, but it's a lot of new energy, and you can feel that in the Student Tennis Center. I At the matches we've had at home so far, the men are undefeated at home, and that pays a lot to kind of the energy that they're carrying throughout 
their matches. Um, we have the Quinn Van de Castile is leading the men right now. Um, he had a run at the U.S. Open over the summer, and he's kind of brought that um, back to Eugene, just his dominance as a senior captain leading the squad. And he's now ranked number 33 um, in the nation in singles and then in doubles. Him and his freshman partner, Matthew Burton, who's from Australia, are number 31. So we have good rankings, um, but that's just kind of early on in the season. They haven't really been tested yet, um, except for the ITA kickoff weekend, which happened a couple weeks ago. So now getting this weekend, they're taking on Nebraska um, and Portland, but that kind of will end their easier matches So um, from the dual season to go into conference play. Well, they'll be playing Stanford, USC, um, San Diego. They head down to San Diego next weekend, and that's a number three um ranked singles player that Quinn will have to face. So it's when matches get legit. And then same for the women's team. They just picked up a win um, against Boise State today, and it's it's looking good. I mean, they it, it's tough. The early matches when you're playing Portland teams, Eastern Washington, you can't really see as much of how these teams are doing, um, but it's when you're going to get faced with schools like Denver, schools like Boise, Minnesota, who they take on tomorrow yeah, that's when it'll really show how these young kids can adapt to college-level tennis. With the women's team, so far it, it sounds like there's been a lot of shuffling the lineup, especially, especially in doubles play. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that's that's just a trying to figure out what, what clicks, what doesn't here early on in the season? Yes. I, I think tennis, it's always changing. It's you're, you're working with someone on the other half of the court, and some days are good, some days are bad, and Coach Courtney Nagel just wants to see how her players can develop and how they can kind of – if they see someone good working with a pair, they're going to hone in on that skill and they're going to put them in a position to try. And I also think a couple of injuries have affected those changes. Um, graduate transfer Nina Giesler, um came from LSU and she just got out last game due to a strain in her stomach. So then they've had to change up their number one um, doubles and put in someone else. So I think it's a lot of adapting, but I do think that's healthy um, given tennis has a roster of between six and nine, ten players, and so you got to, if someone's injured, learn how to play with other people, and that's honestly fine to happen early on in the season if later on they'll they'll know how to play better. I, I, you mentioned earlier that a lot of these athletes, they play their own tournaments, or they kind of do their own thing in the offseason. That's such a unique thing I feel about tennis, is, is they have the opportunities to do that, kind of have the opportunities to grow on their own. Can you see a difference so far early in play between the athletes that did go compete in these tournaments and those that maybe didn't? Yes. I, I mean, Quinn Van is just the prime example. Um, he is someone who just played, made it to his first quarterfinal in an ATP in Cleveland. And he comes back the next weekend and is playing on at the Student Tennis Center. And you just see his maturity. I think they're able to, the way they play, they're hitting patterns. They're being selective in their shots. They are just, there's a calmness. And I think that comes with playing high-level matches when there's money on the line, when there's more expectation. And then when you come to more of a team sport, you you have how many other people he has 10 other people around him supporting him and i think that i don't know i think it's beneficial to be on your own at those lone tournaments and then come back to a team and you're a lot more mature a lot more patient with your shots um and i think that's reflective it's also with sophie lucia our number one on women's tennis she plays tournaments in um switzerland all around the world and that maturity that confidence it's it's a difference between being calm and kind of 
being a little nervous in your shots, and you can see that difference. The format is so fun because it is an individual sport at times, but it's also a team sport. Right? Like the doubles point is so important, and I feel like there's like a direct correlation. Like when you look at record based on how many times you win or lose doubles point. Um, but then also your individual, your singles match matters just as much. But what's the ex- what's the experience like for you? Like you are you great tennis player, like big part of the UO club tennis. What's the experience like covering a sport that you love so much and that you're so involved with? Um, I think seeing these players who you want to emulate in your own game and so you're really critiquing them and really um, kind of – understanding what they what they're doing to be successful on the court it's not only am I like critiquing them um in the articles that I'm writing or highlighting good things I'm also using that to improve my own game or to translate those skills to my teammates so I think it's when I can write about it I can better analyze these players and their skills and then it not only makes my writing better because I'm more informed I'm also able to make decisions on how I play as a player um but I think it's a college tennis is superior. I think the the way that teams that you have a team behind you, it's unlike anything in regular tennis. Tennis on the professional level is one person on the court by themselves and that's extremely uncommon in sports. Um and so to have a team, to have people cheering you on, it's all, all these players say it's coming to college tennis after touring all through Europe, being on your own away from your family. It's it's a big difference and they really enjoy it a lot more. What what's the experience covering these teams like? Because tennis, men's tennis, women's tennis, two teams that aren't overly covered within the media. Um, how how much presence is there for you, and how much freedom do you have? in like, hey, I am the media rep today, so I get to do X Y Z. Um. Yeah. I mean, I don't need a credential when I show up, but then I think that gets me a lot closer with the players and the coaches, and it. I don't know. It, it's a unique experience because the venue is already so small, so I'm not tucked mm-hmm. away in like the high-rise like press box somewhere else in football or basketball. I'm right there, right behind the fence of where a player is. And so they kind of, I don't know, it's a much more intimate reporting experience I have um, that I can hear their inner dialogue. I can hear them talking to their coaches, um, their for- other teammates, and I think seeing it on a more intimate scale makes me makes my writing a little bit more kind of colorful um yeah. and I really enjoy writing about it because I can see those intricacies of the player of their game of the style and I don't get that when I cover other sports as well absolutely it's 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 such a cool experience to be able to cover these these teams that otherwise don't get a lot of coverage and it's so much fun to be able to edit these pieces and fill our website with a variety of sports. I, th- I think it's it's so good. I, I love the amount of coverage that we had. Like last week was so busy. Um, co-editor Nina and I, like it was just articles coming in and out. I mean, golf happened, and Jack's not here to talk about it today too bad, but um, golf got off to a decent start. Like it, it, it it's just a super, super exciting time right now. So Oregon men's tennis, Oregon women's tennis, sounds like two teams that are starting off pretty hot, but just kind of waiting to get into, waiting to get into conference play before they really meet some challenges and kind of figure out where they are this season. Whereas we transition into another team, Oregon softball, that kind of is already facing some struggles before conference play even begins. Went and played a tournament down in Clearwater against some teams there that were pretty good, but met some struggles. And Joe Moore is going to be our main beat reporter for this this season, but but Kraz filled in with some of the games early in this season. What have we seen from this team so far? And what's the, not the panic level, but how much concern is there for trying to get back to the Super Regionals, which 
is where this team went last year and where they're trying to get back to this year. Early on, it looks like the offense will have no problem being there. Ariel Carlson, Kyla Shar both have great starts this season. Most of their trouble has come with runners in scoring position. They struggled a little bit in that season opener against Indiana last week, as well as today against Texas A&M and LMU. Both of those games coming, their offense just has like died out at times. On the pitching side, Stevie Hansen had a rough start to her year, but she looks like she's settled down a bit. And then Taylor Spencer has been the really big key for this Oregon pitching staff, the freshman threw 10 innings over the weekend and allowed just one run last weekend, which is really impressive for a freshman to come in and do that in her first collegiate play. I'd say the stress level isn't too high right now, but it'll be interesting to see how they're able to translate a bit of a streaky start into three games every weekend and going into the regular season in Pac-12 play, especially for a team that has this many seniors and such high aspirations going off of their success last year. Well, and they hung pretty well with um, number 5 Clemson. I believe that was a 3-2 loss. Like, this team can hang with the best of them, and I like three two loss. I mean, likely means it could have just as easy been a three two win. Um, but it'll, it'll be interesting to see if the Jane fills up this year after a good run last year, kind of like we were talking about with baseball. Um, but what have some of like the media days been like? Some of the media coverages. How much? How much talk is there around this Oregon softball team? The, the ideal for this team is to compete in the World Series. This team has their eyes set on Oklahoma City. And they they really they hope that the, all the seniors I think like a bunch of returning seniors Emma Kauf has really been impressive early on the vibe around media days and and just the vibe around the team is that they expect to be in the college softball World Series and that's where the goal is set for them. Uh, yeah, I haven't had a chance to really be around the team uh, too much just yet, but from everything I've talked with um, Kraz about and everything that I've seen from the team, it looks like this is. Uh, a year that they're really trying to build on uh, previous success and really turn this school into like a like more of a softball school going forward. Okay, so some from a team, a, a, an Oregon team with postseason aspirations to one that pretty much has reached the end of the line. It's Oregon women's basketball. They keep losing to ranked teams, which granted they're ranked teams, but the losses just keep piling up in a season that's been pretty littered with them. And you can kind of feel the energy and the excitement about this women's team just decline as the year goes on is that warranted is there still a spark left in this team or is is this just let's start talking about 2024 2025 let's talk about 2024 2025 the biggest question right now is will the big three of filipina shea chance gray and grace van sloot and will any of them transfer which would really doom this team going forward i mean the pac-12 with all of how competitive is this year has not been easy for these ducks but this it's just a it's just like there's no, there seems to be like no light at the end of the tunnel for this team. There's nothing to look forward to. I'm curious to ask Kelly what what he d- defines as success for the Ducks team down the down the final stretch because it's bleak. They're losing by 20 points regularly. They're getting blown out on road trips every game, and there seems to be like little fight in this team. I was gonna say because I mean for all the time we spent talking about how frustrating this team is to watch, we haven't heard that much pessimism from Kelly. It's 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 a lot of positivity, and it's it's tough to kind of tell whether he is frustrated with this team, and like, if he's, is he? We need to get better. Or is he? It's gonna get better. He said he said it last time. He said I'm a positive guy, and I'm like, yeah, but it could almost be to a fault. I mean, they're they're really struggling. There's it's hard to find some positives, but it'll be interesting to see if they're able to find anything down this final stretch. Now, to be fair, they play in a tough conference. These are these are quality losses that they're having, but there's just there's not a lot in these losses. You're like, ooh, maybe, like, just just seems like you're watching the same game over and over again. Yeah, 
they're losses against quality opponents. I don't know if I'd always call them quality losses. Sure. Because sure. you're playing great teams, but you're also losing by 25 every night. And so, you know, they have an, uh, the Ducks have another tough homestand this weekend against the L.A. schools, and that'll be a good test. Both of those are in the top five, just to see if there's a little bit of fight left in this team before the Pac-12 tournament or if they're going to be a day one, game one exit. Um, unfortunately, they sit at 11th in the conference right now. Seems more like the second one than the first, but maybe they take an upset. Doesn't seem likely. Yeah, 11 seed, if they finish there, would take on the sixth team in the the first round of the Pac-12 tournament, which, knowing the Pac-12, probably a pretty good ranked opponent. But transfer portal, we talk about girls coming out. Maybe something awesome happens in the offseason. Oregon brings some people in. I've heard there's this girl at Iowa that's pretty good. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe she's interested in coming and play for Nike. I wish. <laughs> some NIL. I wish. A little bit of NIL money. NIL. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's all right. Yeah, num- number 10 USC playing tonight, and then number 9 UCLA on Sunday, and what's going to be another busy weekend for Oregon athletics, but two more chances to maybe shock the world for Oregon basketball, but more than likely two pretty rough home losses. But big game, road game for the men's basketball team, which season is still alive, but kind of hanging on by a thread. Well, what needs to happen the rest of the way for Oregon men's basketball to have any sort of postseason aspirations? Barring a pretty major collapse, Oregon looks like they are probably going to head into the tournament as a top four seed. No, you're talking the Pac-12 tournament. The Pac-12 tournament, not the NCAA tournament. That one's a little more up in the air. They probably have to make a run to get there. They might. It might take winning the Pac-12 tournament, um, maybe winning out and a strong showing in the semifinal game or the finals of the Pac-12 tournament is enough to get them there, but... More than likely, it's going to take a win in the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah, the way I'm, I'm kind of looking at it, at it is Oregon can afford two more losses, but one of them has to be at Arizona, and one of them has to be to a to a good team late in the Pac-12 tournament. Is that is that is that a fair assessment, or or is even those two losses a done deal? Even those two losses might be a done deal, but that is the most losses I think they can take and still have a chance to make the tournament. Those two losses, they'll need some luck. It all depends on the quality of those losses. That Arizona away game is going to be tough. And then maybe they can run the table in, in Las Vegas and have some luck. And that's a frustrating thing because this team, is, it's its not that bad. 16-8, and eight, which is this year, for whatever reason, the Pac-12 is down. And so Oregon just doesn't have that resume. But you look at some of the teams that are currently projected to make the tournament with all these automatic bids, and you're like, Oregon beats that team by 30. Oregon beats that team by 30. Oregon beats that team by 30. And you like to think if, or if Pac-12 men's basketball was as strong as Pac-12 women's basketball is this year, some of those losses that Oregon has maybe wouldn't look so bad and some of those wins that Oregon has would look a whole lot better it's just it's just it's a weird it it's a weird thing and I know we talked about this on the last episode of like having to root for Pac-12 teams against other non-Pac-12 teams to help Oregon and it's at this point Oregon just got to help itself win as win as many games as, as it can but got to be nearly perfect here going out yeah, it's got to start in Corvallis uh, tomorrow night, right? Joe and I are going down to cover that one. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be big. They need really to if they're gonna make a run, it's got to start on the right foot. And I mean that's a great opportunity. Yeah, that, a rivalry game on the road might be just like the boost that this team needs to make that run late in the season. Uh, if you get a big win at Oregon State, it's possible it starts to look a lot uh, better for Oregon if they can get this momentum win. 
Well, one more topic to kind of talk about. Um, EA Sports finally announced that it is coming out with the NCAA football game that we had all anticipated and were hoping for. And Owen pitched this. He's like, hey, what if we talked about, like, what what cover we'd like to see? And I I think the duck as the cover would be pretty sick. Best mask. Because that's the thing is, like, the players are always going to be changing within this Mm -hmm. game. Like, it'd be cool to have like some staples that are always going to be there. So like, I think a cover full of mascots would be a pretty awesome thing. You just throw some of the best mascots on that cover. I think it looked pretty cool. Or you could go Nick Saban. You threw up that Heisman idea too. Like, cause I think it was a really, that was an interesting one. Too. What's really important with this thing is that they, they honor these 10 years that they've missed. Well, 10, 10 years that they've missed. Right. Oh, math is also a second year skill. Um, <laughs> And, you know, we, we talked about putting the Heismans on there. You, you know, you can get all these guys. Because what I really want to see in this game is you, you want to play with classic teams. I want to see 2019 LSU in this game. I want to see Tim Tebow, Florida. Sure. And I, I think getting those guys on the cover, it would be a great sign that they're going to do that in the game. I didn't hear you mention Darren Thomas, Oregon, but <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'll excuse it. Check down Anthony Brown. Check the, give me, give me <laughs> Anthony Brown. Cover. Give me check down Anthony Brown. <laughs> Well, we'll be back in a couple more weeks as all these seasons continue to roll on, and it'll be fun to talk to people and see how covering their sport and making the sport theirs is, is going. So thanks for tuning in today.